Welcome. Welcome to Talk the Talk. I'm Bill Newman. And I'm Buzz Eisenberg. I want to share with you the top of the fold headline from Tuesday's Daily Hampshire Gazette. State group bar Trump from ballot. Filers led by Amherst attorneys cite 14th Amendment regarding insurrection. A couple of sentences for you. Free speech for people, a nonprofit led by Amherst attorney John Boniface, has filed an objection with the Massachusetts Ballot Law Commission saying that Trump should be barred from the primary ballot based on Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. Free Speech for People has attorneys and members across the country. It was incorporated originally in Massachusetts, and it remains led by Joan Bonifaz, who helped found the organization 14 years ago. The article goes on to cite the other states in which Free Speech for People has filed petitions seeking to keep Donald Trump off the Republican primary ballot. We are so pleased to have back with us on the show the co-founder and president of Free Speech for People, John Bonifaz. Thank you so much, Attorney Bonifaz, for being with us. Free Speech for People has filed with the Massachusetts authorities a petition to keep Trump off the Republican primary ballot. Tell us what the status of that is, please. Yes, thank you, Bill and Buzz, for having me. Uh, The status of that case is that we have filed it on behalf of voters in Massachusetts before the State Ballot Law Commission. The State Ballot Law Commission will need to convene January 22nd under uh, the state law mandate and will need to make a decision by January 29th, which will then be subject to judicial review. Now, I know that Secretary Bill Galvin, Secretary of the Commonwealth, has made clear that he does not agree uh, with this uh, complain this objection, but he doesn't really have a role here. It's the state ballot law commission that makes the initial decision, and then it goes to judicial review. He did have a role before we filed, which was to follow the mandate of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, and he was derelict in that duty and did not follow that mandate, which is why we have filed this objection. Okay, so for those of us who need a remedial course in this, spend a minute and explain my misunderstanding, sorry, not a great question, but uh, I thought this was up to Secretary of State Galvin, who gets on the ballot. I didn't know there was a ballot commission. Explain that to me, if you would, please. Yes, so Secretary Galvin does have, in the first instance, the authority and responsibility to ensure that candidates who appear on the state ballot are qualified for the office they seek. And when it comes to determining that, the secretary must follow the mandate of the United States Constitution for a presidential primary or presidential election. There are specific qualifications for running and serving as president. You have to be 35 years of age by the time of the inauguration. You have to be a natural born citizen and you have to not have taken an oath of office and then engaged in insurrection in order to become president or any public officer again. And Secretary Galvin from very beginning in this whole process where we issued letters to all 50 states and the District of Columbia back in June of 2021, he's been on record making statements like no criminal conviction has occurred and therefore I'm not going to follow the mandate. Well, there is no requirement of a criminal conviction under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, but nevertheless, you know, Secretary Gowans invented this new argument, judges in Georgia and New Mexico, and now Colorado and then the main Secretary of State have all found that no criminal conviction 
is necessary for enforcing Section 3. He more recently has said, this is a matter for the voters to decide. And that, again, is a question not to a, a constitutional officer who's supposed to comply with the mandate of the Constitution. This is not a political matter we are involved in here. We are defending a critical provision of the Constitution designed to protect our republic. So when he failed to do his duty to follow that mandate and to bar Donald Trump from the ballot, we brought this objection before the State Ballot Law Commission, which is not a well-known entity in the state, uh, but it is uh, the entity where you bring an objection to candidate eligibility. Voters have the right under state law to do that, and that's what we've initiated with this file. So John, bon- John Boniface, uh, president of Free Speech for People and co-founder of that organization, national organization with its headquarters in Amherst, I would like to know whether the case that is now pending, I understand, at the United States Supreme Court in which Donald Trump challenges the decision of the Colorado court to keep him off the ballot. Will that be determinative of your petition? You are, by that, I mean free speech for people's petition in Massachusetts? Well, we don't know. We don't know how the Supreme Court's going to rule. And unless and until they issue a decisive ruling on whether Section 3 of the 14th Amendment disqualifies Donald Trump, we will continue to pursue these challenges and others to enforce Section 3 of the 14th Amendment in the states. That is where the enforcement takes place in the first instance. And the states have a responsibility to ensure, to protect the integrity of their ballots and ensure the people who are on their ballots are eligible for the office they seek. Um, Let me be clear. I I am enormously uh, concerned about Donald Trump running for president and possibly being reelected. And his authoritarianism, I think, poses a clear and present danger. That said, I would like to know from you how you reconcile your petition to keep him off the ballot with something else that I know you care deeply about, which is due process. And in Massachusetts, there has been no trial, no hearing uh, about Donald Trump. We don't know what the standard of proof would be. He hasn't had the opportunity to call witnesses, to cross-examine, to present arguments, and so on and so forth. How do you reconcile his due process rights or any candidate's due process rights with a petition that says decide unilaterally uh, either Secretary of State or this elections board to keep him off the ballot. Can you square that circle for me? Absolutely. So, and I appreciate the question. So first of all, when it comes to the secretaries of state, they do have the mandate in the first instance to follow the requirements of the constitution. And then the candidate, if they're not found to be qualified, can seek judicial review and have those due process rights vindicated if they are in fact wrongly disqualified. So a candidate, for example, who is underage, which has occurred in in California um, some time ago, 27-year-old candidate wanting to run for president, uh, she was blocked by the state of California from appearing on that ballot. She didn't have a hearing or anything like that, but then she sued and challenged it. And she got all the briefing and all the opportunity to have the court review that decision. And ultimately, the courts upheld that decision because she wasn't going to be 35 years of age by the time the inauguration was going to take place in that presidential election year. Uh, Similarly, a a man, a naturalized citizen in Colorado, uh, had sought to run for president. He was not natural born. And a lot of people can argue whether that provision of the Constitution should still exist and whether we should 
expand upon and allow for naturalized citizens to run. That's a different debate. But the, the Constitution still says you have to be a natural born citizen to run for president. He sought to challenge that. He was denied by uh, the Colorado Secretary of State from being on the ballot. He appealed that. And then Judge Gorsuch of the 10th Circuit Court of Appeals upheld that decision and said it was necessary for states to protect the integrity of our elections. Now, Justice Gorsuch. So that is a key precedent uh, for this. But separate from the secretaries of state, we then get into these voter challenges. And in these voter challenges, there is plenty of opportunity for Donald Trump to have his day in court if he if he wants it, both before the ballot law commission or anywhere else. In Colorado, he had a five-day trial and his lawyers presented all of their arguments in that five-day trial. And there were extensive findings of fact that the district court judge issued 100 plus pages of a ruling uh, as to whether January 6th was an insurrection, she found it was. As to whether Donald Trump engaged in insurrection, she found he did. Uh, and that record is there now available for the ballot law commission. So our position on this now, uh, Bill, is that the ballot law commission has all that it needs to make a decision based on that extensive trial court record and based on the record that it was established in Maine. If Donald Trump wants an evidentiary hearing, we'll be at that hearing and we'll continue uh, this presentation. But if he doesn't uh, want an evidentiary hearing, we're prepared to have the ballot law commission rule on the record as it exists. So John Bonifaz, Buzz is very anxious to ask you a question. I have one more for you before I turn this over to him. And that is what something you just mentioned, which is uh, Secretary Galvin said, and I know you disagree, that the voters should decide. Um, why is he wrong about that in your judgment? Well, he's wrong about that because we have a constitution that needs to be upheld here. And there are parameters for how we conduct our elections. Vladimir Putin cannot run for president of the United States. And yet, not, not and yet, yet, not yet. Not yet. Not he, not he, he, he has a friend who is running, but uh... <laughs> right, right. But, you know, you have to be a natural born citizen and Vladimir Putin doesn't qualify. So if many people in the country wanted to vote for Vladimir Putin, they wouldn't be able to, even though we want to say, let the voters decide. I'll give you a more a better example than maybe that one. Barack Obama is immensely popular among many voters still. If he wanted, if the Democratic Party wanted to run him again, they could not because the 22nd Amendment makes clear that you can only serve two terms as president of the United States, he can't serve a third term. And the voters can, you know, be, uh, Jefferson Davis had a lot of Confederate voters who supported him, but that doesn't mean that Jefferson Davis, who led the insurrection under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, is qualified to be on the ballot. And Donald Trump is the Jefferson Davis of our time. And is there a difference between being on the ballot and assuming the office? In other words, some people have argued, well, he could be on the ballot and he might win the Republican primary but that doesn't mean he can serve. Do you draw that distinction? We don't, and neither did that Ninth Circuit ruling in the case dealing with a candidate who was 27 years old, nor the ruling of Hassan v. Colorado that Judge Gorsuch then wrote the opinion for in the Tenth Circuit dealing with a naturalized citizen. Those were about candidates running to be on the ballot to first in the first instance. Yeah, I can hardly wait to see what Justice Gorsuch has to say about what Judge Gorsuch said. We'll find out. <laughs> right. Buzz? Right. Well, precedent plays no role for Justice uh, Gorsuch. Now, uh, John, I wanted to ask you that uh, a lot of people say that because of the absence of the word 
president in the 14th Amendment, Section 3, in the Disqualification and Insurrection Clause. It does specifically mention representatives. It does specifically mention senators, but it just generally says officers. And some argue that this court is so literal and looking for precise language of what they're being asked to do that they might rely on the absence of the word president being disqualified after taking an oath and then engaging in insurrection. What say you, John Boniface? Thank you, Buzz, for raising that. They, they may try to hold on to that nonsensical argument that's been advanced uh, in some quarters. But the reality here is that the president is clearly an officer of the United States. 25 times in the U.S. Constitution, the office of the president is named. And an officer is someone who holds an office. The reason why members of Congress and senators are specifically named in Section 3 of the 14th Amendment is because they are not actually officers of the United States. They don't have any executive power. They are part of a deliberative body, a legislative body that makes decisions, but they alone are not officers. So that's why the framers of the 14th Amendment listed them. But it was clear understanding, and this is in the legislative history, that officer of the United States covered president. And the Colorado Supreme Court made this clear in their ruling that it was not logical in any way whatsoever to assume that the framers of the 14th Amendment were okay uh, with a dog catcher or a local official or a state official or even a, a, another kind of federal official being barred under Section 3, uh, but that you know they wanted to go ahead and give an exemption to the president of the United States. It doesn't make any sense, and it didn't in the legislative history. We are speaking with John Boniface, who is president and co-founder of Free Speech for People. We are talking about the 14th Amendment article, I'm sorry, the, the 14th Amendment's third section, no person shall be a senator or representative in Congress or elector and goes on or hold any other office who having taken an oath to support and defend the Constitution of the United States has engaged in insurrection. The question I have for John Boniface is it says – the 14th Amendment says the person shall not be allowed to hold any office. Does that mean the person can't run for office and persons can't vote for Trump if they want to? Isn't there a difference between holding an office and running for office? We'll pose that question right after this. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. WHMP. We continue our conversation with John Boniface, who is president of Free Speech for People. Free Speech for People, under his guidance, has filed a, an objection to Donald Trump being on the Republican primary ballot here in Massachusetts and has also filed challenges, similar challenges in Oregon, Illinois, Minnesota, and Michigan. So back to the question, if you would, please, John. Why is there or is there a difference between running, Trump running for an office, this office, or to be the Republican nominee. We're talking about a primary ballot now. We're not even talking about the general election ballot. A difference between people saying, we want him for president, we should be allowed to vote for him as our candidate, and his being disqualified in your judgment from actually assuming the office. Is there a difference there? There's not a difference, and I'll, and I'll give two answers to this. Number one, as I mentioned in other cases where the age qualification and natural-born citizenship qualification have been enforced. In those cases, those were about candidates running for the office. They were barred 
from the ballot because they didn't meet the qualifications for the office. But the other point I would make here is that Donald Trump is actually making this argument right now uh, in the courts. And he's saying that the time for the decision as to whether or not he would be qualified or disqualified is January 6, 2025. So he wants a rerun of January 6, 2021. He wants the chaos that would occur on the day the Electoral College votes are counted as to whether or not he's qualified and disqualified. And that's clearly not the intent here. We do not wait until that moment to make a decision of whether somebody's eligible for the office. We enforce it in the first instance with state ballot integrity. And people who are not eligible for the office they seek are not eligible to be on those ballots. Nicholas Kristof, New York Times columnist, decided to leave the New York Times and run for governor in Oregon. And that's where he's from. He's you know from Oregon. So he moved back there. And the problem he has, he hadn't lived in the state for three consecutive months. And the state constitution makes very clear you have to do that to run for public office there. The secretary of state barred him from the ballot. He was the leading candidate in the Democratic gubernatorial primary. He was barred from the ballot. And the Oregon Supreme Court unanimously upheld that decision and he's back at the New York Times. So, you know, that is a good example of a recent court enforcing a, uh, a constitutional qualification here, albeit a state one. And that's part of the reason why we filed in Oregon one of these challenges, because the state Supreme Court has been on record enforcing this kind of constitutional qualification. But, John, isn't there something anti-democratic about this position in this regard? If Trump were to run for president, if he were to be the Republican nominee and he were to lose, that's kind of the best of all possible worlds from your point of view. Someone who should never have been considered would be eliminated from the office, would not hold the office. He would have lost the election. And people who say, well, let the voters decide it is a democracy would have gotten their way and all's well that ends well. Why is that a bad position? Well, it ignores the history of why we have Section 3 of the 14th Amendment there in the first place. It came after the Civil War. There were ex-Confederates still in power or seeking to attain positions of power. And the view was, by the framers of the 14th Amendment in the Reconstruction era, that someone who took that oath of office and then engaged in insurrection is a threat to the Republic and cannot be trusted for ever holding public office again. Again, Jefferson Davis had a constituency. There were plenty of people who would have voted for him for president. But the view was that if you took that oath and you then led an insurrection as Jefferson Davis did, you're a threat to the republic and you can never serve in public office again. That's exactly the situation we face today. Donald Trump led the January 6th insurrection and he took that oath before it and he's barred from ever holding public office again. Buzz? Uh, yeah, Attorney John Bonifaz, on behalf of Free Speech for People and Mi Familia Vota uh, Education Fund, you sent letters uh, across the country to secretaries of state from California and Oregon to uh, Michigan to New York and Massachusetts and North Carolina and Georgia. Um, did any of those secretaries of state meet with you and uh, did any of them share your view? Well, we issued the first series of letters to all 50 states in the District of Columbia, and that was in June of 2021. And then we did follow up with additional letters uh, with more detail from, from the House Select Committee's report uh, in 2023. 
And we had a number of meetings with Secretary of State. While none of them were willing to go on record during those meetings or, or soon after them saying they would enforce Section 3, some of those meetings were, were quite detailed in terms of the conversation, and there was genuine interest in understanding the history of Section 3 and what it required. Um, and so, you know, that that was part of the laying of the groundwork for this campaign was to first put every secretary of state on notice that they had a duty under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment to bar Donald Trump were he to run for office again. And then once he announced it, we reissued these letters to key states. What do you say the standard of proof should be for holding Trump responsible for having been an insurrectionist, for having violated uh Article, the article, I'm sorry, Amendment 14th, third paragraph, third provision. Uh, is it proof beyond a reasonable doubt? Is it a preponderance of the evidence? Is it clear and convincing evidence? What is the standard of proof to show that he was an insurrectionist? Well, there's a standard actually that's been uh, cited already by the Colorado court and by uh, two other courts, one of which we were involved in, that's the case against Marjorie Taylor Greene. That's a standard going back to the Reconstruction era when people were determined to have engaged in insurrection. Um, and there's a very clear definition of what it means to engage in insurrection, and, and, and that involves providing any kind of assistance and aid uh, to those seeking to overturn, uh, you know, the government or block a, a important process that the government's engaged in for maintaining power. Here, this was a block of the peaceful transition of power. It was blocking a critical congressional proceeding of counting electoral college votes. So that's the standard that's been applied in these cases. It's not a criminal uh, setting. It's important to understand this isn't about criminal liability. So it doesn't, you know, the, the kind of discussions around standard proof is not the same uh, because here we're not talking about punishing anyone. No one's going to be put in jail through Section 3 enforcement. The mere question is, are they qualified to be on the ballot for the office that they see? So run through us, if you would, again, please. What are the outstanding dates that we need to pay attention to? Well, coming up in Massachusetts, it's January 22nd when the Ballot Law Commission convenes over this objection, and January 29th when they must decide it in Illinois. On January 17th, a case management hearing is going to be held, a hearing officer is getting assigned, and by January 30th, the Illinois Board of Elections needs to decide this. In Oregon, the state Supreme Court has asked for additional briefing on state law issues. Those briefs were filed by all parties, including our uh, voters that uh, we represent, Donald Trump and the Secretary of State, and those filings occurred on Tuesday of this week, January 9th. So in all of these cases, uh, there very well could be decisions this month on the question of Donald Trump being qualified or not to appear on their state ballots. And then, of course, on February 8th, the United States Supreme Court is going to hold oral argument in the Colorado case, and we will be filing an amicus brief before the Supreme Court at the end of this month in support of the voters' claims in that case. All right. I, this is unfair, but in for a dime, in for a dollar. What do you think is going to happen at the Supreme Court? I, I'm not able to predict what's going to happen. What I can say is that if the justices follow the law and the facts, there's no exit ramp here. They have to 
uphold Section 3 of the 14th Amendment and find that Donald Trump is disqualified. Uh, and that that's clear from the law and the facts. Judge Ludick, who's a, a very conservative former federal appeals court judge, he's made this multiple times. He's made this statement that there is no uh, way out for the Supreme Court if they follow the mandate of Section 3, and we fully agree with them. What about those skeptics among us who say the Supreme Court is riding on a blank slate? It has no problem reversing a half century of precedent. It had no problem creating an entirely bogus new theory in order to solve uh, Bush versus Gore and come out the way they wanted to with uh, Bush as president. Uh, they are not bound by clear precedent in this instance. Why isn't the court simply going to decide what it wants, who he wants, whether Trump should be on the ballot, and then they'll write some words that get them from here to there? You know, Bill, they, they might do that, and I couldn't agree with you more about Bush v. Gore as an example of the court being derelict in its own duty. But I do want to remind your listeners that Donald Trump more than 60 times tried in federal court to overturn the 2020 election. He brought more than 60 cases. He lost every single one of them. And every time he kept losing in those uh, courts, he said, well, when we get to my Supreme Court, they're going to overturn the 2020 election. And he tried multiple times to get the U.S. Supreme Court to take up one of his cases. They never did. So that should be an example that even those justices who he nominated, who went on to become Supreme Court justices, are not in his camp entirely on this massive fraud claim, on this big lie that he's been propagating. And they may not be in the tank with him with respect to his role in the insurrection. Do you expect the Supreme Court to decide this quickly? I do, because I think they know that overseas ballots are going to be sent out by Colorado on February 11th. And they understand that the importance of providing clarity for voters when they're getting those ballots. Well, John Bonifaz, a free speech for the people. I just want to say as an attorney, we take an oath, too, when we get that license. And I am just so glad there are attorneys like you who are, are not violating their oath. Thank you for what you do. Buzz and Bill, thank you so much. Good to be with you. We'll be right back. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg.